Hello and welcome to the Spaceport America podcast with me, Alice Carruth, the Public Relations Coordinator for the New Mexico Spaceport Authority. In this episode, I'm going to be joined by CEO of Stratodynamics, Gary Puddensack, and we're going to be talking about their mission at Spaceport America in the summer of 2021. So thank you for joining me, Gary. Can you start by telling us what Stratodynamics is? Well, Stratodynamics is a technology and aviation company, and we're kind of focused on uh, a couple of things. One is that we provide essentially access to near space, near space being the stratosphere using our uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs. And we have uh, have a, a balloon-launched UAV glider that goes up into the stratosphere and uh, flies back, lands back at the, your feet. So it can carry um, our clients' payloads, which can be a variety of different types of instruments. But it provides essentially access to high altitudes for uh, either studies for climate change or testing equipment that is getting trialed for um, future satellite deployment or other flight opportunities programs. Um, so it can do a, a variety of things. Uh, that's one aspect of what we do. Uh, the second one is we develop technology for detecting turbulence. So in our last flight that we had at Spaceport America, we have an instrument that uh, we are working with with NASA that uh, can detect turbulence. And turbulence is a problem for the aviation industry. There's presently no easy way for aircraft to sense uh, upcoming turbulence. It's all done by uh, pilot reports or by forecasting, but there's no way for an aircraft to uh, know that it's coming until they actually um, experience it. So um, we're developing technology to help solve that problem. So your background is a glider pilot. How did you get involved in this idea of creating UAVs that are able to be used for research and development? Well, it's a it's a combination of a lot of loves in my life. So I'm a, I'm a glider pilot. I love love the concept of utilizing natural energy um, to run operate things efficiently or to harness that energy um, for for human good. So I've been in the wind energy business for many years. I'm a glider pilot. I'm a, I love sailing. So all of these things take uh, the natural elements of our environment and our Earth and try to use that in in pleasing ways and helpful ways. A gliding pilot is essentially using the Earth's energy to stay up as long as you can or to get from uh, point A to point B or or to, to maximize your flight time. So the gliding pilot was an extension of that. And I was kind of inspired by a group called the Perland Project, which was taking a man glider, uh, trying to set altitude records by flying off of what's called stratospheric mountain waves. So these are high altitude uh, waves created off mountains that can propel or push a glider up into breaking world records. And they've had a couple of successes. Um, but I thought about trying this with a UAV, with the drones, with a, with, um, a glider pilot. I actually saw, uh, interesting story. I saw these uh, kids that would, they called watching Lego man in space, which, which they would take a, uh, a little camera with a Lego box and light and put it up with a balloon. And, and that was sort of the combination. Well, geez, if you can launch a little Lego man to space, you can certainly launch a glider, an autonomous glider. Um, so that was a part of a combination of my love of uh, environmental um, efficiency, uh, technology, gliding pilot. I also have a mechanical engineering background as well. Um, so, you know, the combination of integrating technology is something I've worked on for, for many years of my life. So it was really a, a, a lot of things that resonated with um, 
what I like and passionate about and uh, led me to the development of a, of a high altitude glider, essentially. So you guys are based up in Canada. How did you find Spaceport America and why did you choose this as a launch facility location for you? Uh, well, we were successful in getting a uh, funding with the NASA Flight Opportunities Program. And um, part of the requirements there are that the activities are in the U.S. and we we have also a U.S. entity as well. And so we um, look for places to fly a UAV at these altitudes. And so currently it's really challenging to go up through commercial airspace with the UAV uh, trans, you know, at different levels. And we're going all the way up from the ground level to above commercial airspace. And so we looked at places where uh, there was access to restricted airspace because that allows us to kind of operate in a way outside of commercial airspace and address some of those mitigation concerns that uh, are currently working through the regulations now. And so we had identified there's only a really a handful of places in the U.S. now where you have access to uh, restricted airspace, Spaceport America being one of them. And uh, and also they were um, we reached out to a number of them, but Spaceport America was very cooperative, very helpful, and very um, willing to work with us. And was actually kind of excited about what we were trying to do as well. I mean, we're pioneering flying at high altitudes, and there's uh, only a few that have done this in the world to date. And so um, we're happy that we lo- located Spaceport America and were able to do it there at the same time. So you held your mission back in June of 2021. Can you talk me through? what that mission involved, and tell me a little bit more about the hydron craft that you guys are working with. Yeah, so the, the researchers on that were from the University of Kentucky, and they were, they're the prime, so they had the actual uh, funding program with NASA, so we were a subcontractor to them. But they're, they're, they were using a couple of, sen- they were looking at studying turbulence as well. So they had a couple of sensors on our aircraft, our aircraft is in total weight about uh, six kilograms, but it can carry about a one kilogram payload. And they were looking to see if they could detect, forward detect turbulence on our aircraft from the complete flight altitudes. One of the advantages of flying with a glider is it's it's almost an instrument in itself. There's no engine to propel it, so it, it glides in the air and it responds to any air movement. And you can see that in the aircraft. So there's accelerometers example that will detect and tell you uh, when the aircraft is, is feeling or experiencing turbulence. So the, the primary goal of this was to test a couple of instruments for detecting turbulence. Uh, so we could cross validate that one. One was using an infrasonic microphone that can hear turbulence in advance of the aircraft. This is part of the technology that uh, we're working with NASA with. The University of Kentucky had their own instrument called a five-hole probe as well that uh, can also detect changes in the air atmosphere and the way it approaches the probe uh, as also detecting a precursor to turbulence. So those are uh, some of the things that they wanted to test with this program and uh, are still working through the results, but at the moment it looks quite encouraging. What I love about your uh, aircraft is that you you do utilize natural energy to get it up. Can you talk us through how you do the high altitude ballooning to get your glider up to high levels before it's released? Yeah, so the, the balloon is um, it's balloon launch. So we potentially have a, a sounding balloon, like a regular latex weather balloon, and uh, it's filled with helium. And there's a long 
string or release cord, we call it, that attaches from the balloon to the tail. So it goes up tail first. And the balloon essentially carries the glider up to our target altitude. And in this case, it was about 98,000 feet or, or 30 kilometers. A program or a system that releases the, the string from the balloon and the glider flies from there. The balloon carries on and it'll burst naturally as it goes up into the atmosphere because the, the, the inside of the balloon is just expanding. And uh, so it's released from the balloon. And at that moment, when it's released from the balloon, is a, is a very interesting time. Where at this point, we're in we're in one of the maybe one percent of the atmosphere. It's very thin air, rarefied air, and we're we're kind of releasing from a microgravity environment. Balloon is like glider is actually going up, then it's released, and then it free falls. And at that moment, it's free falling in very thin air. It's accelerating incredibly fast, uh, up to you know close to four hundred miles per hour within fifteen seconds. And it challenges to get the aircraft to under control um, by itself, he said, autonomously uh, in that really challenging period where there's very thin air, it's moving very quickly and it has to level off and there's lots of oscillations. And what we were able to do at Spaceport America, we've been working on this for a number of our trials, was actually successfully get it to smoothly pull out and fly at uh, above uh, 90,000 feet, which is, you know, no aircraft really flies at those altitudes. And so it was quite an achievement for that to be a smooth transition. We have had lots of rough oscillations, lots of rough transitions, but this at Spaceport America, we finally got, uh, got it tuned enough that uh, it flew at, uh, at that altitude. So to put that in context, an SR-71 Blackbird, you know, one of the highest flying uh, manned aircraft can fly at, you know, say 85,000 feet. So we're flying close to 7,000 feet above that. And, you know, in, in perspective, a commercial aircraft, you know, passenger aircraft flies around 30,000 feet. So we're, you know, three times higher than a typical aircraft. So the air is very thin. You've got different aerodynamic properties there. Uh, the viscosity of the air impacts the, uh, the way the airflow, uh, travels over the aircraft. So it's a different environment entirely. It's essentially like flying in a Mars atmosphere, very thin. Um, and so, we were quite pleased that we were actually able to get a smooth flight and fly at such altitudes. Um, and, you know, I don't know of any others that have really been able to do that yet. So we're quite pleased with that success there. So you talked about the real world applications of, of this turbulent detection that you guys are working on. What are you looking to develop long term with the hydrant and this, this, this turbulent system that you are researching? Uh, the turbulent, yes. Yeah. So long term, we're looking to develop a system for that could be used on commercial aircraft for detecting turbulence. Turbulence is still actually actually in the aircraft industry. Turbulence is one of the leading causes of injuries when uh, for the aircraft industry. Uh, when it's unexpected, it, you know, people are might be unfastened, the crew get injured. Um, plus, you know, it's disrupted, and so there's the injuries. And also, if there's big areas that are forecasted, um, the aircraft have to take wide berths around for these uh, forecasted areas of turbulence. So there's excessive fuel burn, and so there's more more cost and also more emissions from that. So our goal is to develop a system that uh, can be put on an aircraft and would provide an early warning that you're approaching turbulence, and so that you can either uh, make some avoidance plans, or you can, you know, at least you know clear more clearly where it is, and so if you have to go around it, maybe you can detect it more precisely as well, burn less fuel. Um, and so also avoid injury. So that's the long-term plan with the turbulence detection. However, we're also finding out that it can also detect other things in the atmosphere. Like, for example, at this last flight we did at Spaceport America, it's early research, but it looks like we might have been able to detect or hear 
a uh, jet stream that was not far from the airport. So we that we're still looking at the research. So if we can actually locate jet streams by firing for sound microphone, then that's also a good useful tool. And pilots use that to avoid them, and also if they they can use them to um, accelerate their their flight path if it's favorable, and you know shorten flight times as well. Um, so you so mentioned before that this was supported by NASA's Flight Opportunities Program. Can you talk to me a little bit about the process of being able to apply for that and how that works for you? Yeah, what we like to do with uh, some of the researchers we know is work jointly on, you know, working on combination of preparing a proposal for the Flight Opportunities Program. But essentially, it's the researcher who submits uh, a program, a proposal to the Opportunities Program, and they have them approximately every year. And uh, that's to it, the goals change a little bit, but typically it's to develop technologies that will either be future deployed in space or on satellites, or that have a climate um, climate research or are developing new technology that need to fly at alt- high altitudes. So it's really focusing on developing technology at, for high altitude applications. Um, and so as a flight provider, we they sponsor flight providing from either balloons, rockets, or our, in our case, a hybrid aircraft, and a balloon-launched aircraft. Um, so that it's really providing access to near space as a stepping stone to space or technology development. And so what we work with is the research is we try to assess their technology. Is it a good fit for us? Is this something that's uniquely suited for our our platform um, because other times there's other platforms that are better suited and that uh, you know and and essentially has to be leading technical research as well and so and and often you know researchers are are cutting edge uh, technology developers as well you guys have an onboard camera and actually became nasa's picture of the day when you took your image from above Spaceport America. Can you tell us a bit about what kind of applications that could be used for in the future as well? The cameras are, you know, surprisingly becoming very lightweight and inexpensive. And they provide just, I mean, besides all the visual imagery, that's just really quite stunning. um, They also provide really good technical tool to see what's happening uh, in time in, in our aircraft. You know, we've seen, we can see the wings flutter, for example. Um, we can see maybe ice crystals sometimes in the clouds. We can see what's going through clouds. So they're very useful for um, for other data, another data set. Down the road, as the technology improves for live video transmissions, we could also, and it's it's already there, I should say, is that uh, we can do, look through the, see where the, 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 through the cameras in real time. And so there's a whole things that we can, and also with gimbals, we can, you know, point the cameras in different directions. And so we could also expand the range of the camera. Um, and we can also use infrared cameras and all kinds of other optical instruments um, flow from all of this. So in, in space and on, on satellites, they use all kinds of optical instruments for different things, looking at the horizon, et cetera. So um, it's, a, it's a technology, and this is just a small part of it. And even go to the point of uh, sort of like a virtual experience. You could be, you know, controlling your the gimbal of the camera through a, a VR headset or a virtual reality headset, and um, and then you know have an experience of moving the camera with your your head movement. So there's those things are coming as well. Um, but it's a really exciting technology to be able to see these thing, imagery with with such a low 
low waiting, easy to do equipment. I can certainly see that being quite a popular idea to do in the future. Now, when you guys were at Spaceport America, you worked with the physical science lab from NMSU. How did that partnership come about? And what does that mean to be able to have those kind of local resources near to a spaceport like ours? Uh, that was fantastic. Uh, uh, New Mexico State University there has a uh, active balloon launch program and team. They've done a lot of the high-altitude balloon launches there, so they're very experienced with uh, launching balloons, I think, in New Mexico and, and I think around the world, frankly. Um, and so having a local team that was skilled that we could utilize while we're there uh, made all of our, our responsibility easier. We could focus on just flying the aircraft and setting up our aircraft. There is a lot of technology around managing the balloons and filling up, you know, getting the right volumes and the right balloon sizes. And um, and they were skilled enough to be able to handle that part. So it allowed our team to focus on uh, what we do best and utilize local staff as well. And so our crew mobilization was a lot less. We didn't have to bring as many people down. And so that uh, was very helpful to have uh, local skills there and, and people that were, the, the expertise there was really fantastic to be able to utilize. Not so only at uh, New Mexico, but also at uh, your facility as well, Spaceport America. Thank you. You know, we really enjoyed having you guys there. In fact, whilst you were working at Spaceport America, there was a student tour going on and you were very wonderful at letting the students be able to see what it was you were doing as you were monitoring the gliders return, which takes around five hours. And I know the students really appreciated having that opportunity to see an experiment in flight, even if it is just on the ground and seeing screens. I don't think they're quite uh, aware of how incredible an opportunity that was to be able to watch that. But I know for us, it was really great for them to be able to be exposed to the sort of things that go on at Spaceport on a regular basis. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the future is going to happen for you? What's your next stage for validating your equipment or or what it is you're hoping to do in the long term? Is this going to be something that flies on a regular basis? Is this something that's going to be just a validation so you can then sell the technology? Tell us a bit more about that. I think the technology is sophisticated enough that it's not really easy. To, it's not something that's uh, a product that we can sell. So we, we're going to provide our platforms as services. So essentially provide access to, uh, to high altitude, to near space. Uh, we're de- currently developing a couple of things on that front. We're developing our next custom aircraft that will be really designed to fly well at high altitude. So it's a it's um, you know a new aircraft that can also carry um, a larger payload. So we're targeting about a five kilogram payload, and also something that can that can carry a, what we call a five U cubesat size. So designed to carry a payload volume as well that would be more uh, aligned with a, a cubesat for for developing cubesat technology. And so yeah, essentially uh, the next aircraft will be custom built, designed for stratospheric flight. There's, there's really no aeronautical design books for out there yet for how to develop aircraft. So we're conducting research and development on, on a new aircraft um, that hopefully be doing some test flights this year with that aircraft. And that'll still be able to go up with a regular sounding balloon. So it, it'll carry a five kilogram payload. The whole thing should be hopefully less than 12 grams. Um, and so that allows us to use the more economical high altitude balloons um, so access to, can, to space, near space can be cost effective. Um, so we're working on that platform as well as with our collaborators, UAVOS, who have helped develop, who developed the autopilot system. 
Um, another aircraft, which is a HAPS platform, a solar-powered aircraft, so this one would be ground-launched, but still designed to fly above commercial airspace. And these types of aircraft are, would be able to stay up longer and station keep over a region. Um, so those are um, something that we're working with and identified a couple of uh, business cases where that is a useful um, platform for various things, for surveillance, um, telecommunications is well known, um, but for other things as well. So um, that's in the flight provider services, we're looking to expand what we can offer the larger aircraft and one that can stay up longer, solar powered. And on the technology side, we're looking to develop, uh, we're running a couple of trials now with our, our microphones on uh, commercial aircraft and UAVs, and we're looking to can do more of that. We are seeing other applications, so we'll be expanding into those other markets as well. But uh, it's still, it, we're still looking at uh, furthering that technology and getting in as many aircraft as we can at the moment. And hopefully coming back to Spaceport America in the near future so that we can see more testing with you guys. How do people find you on online so they can read more about your company or get in contact with you if they're interested? Uh, yes, they can reach out to us uh, through our website, stratodynamics.ca. Um, our portal or contact us directly. All of our contact information is there. Um, if they come through you, that'd be helpful as well. We would like to fly out there. We definitely enjoyed uh, living and, and spending some time in New Mexico. That was a, that was a fun place. A very unique area that you're in there. The desert is incredibly. Uh, I'm looking out my window. I'm seeing snow. So uh, I'm sure you're not seeing that. But no, I, I hate to tell you, Gary. I'm looking at sunshine down here in southern New Mexico and probably reaching our temperatures of somewhere in the 50s today. So we're we're warm and snug down here in New Mexico, and hopefully. That gives us the advantage of being a good year-round location for launches. So yeah, thank absolutely. you so much for joining me in this episode. And uh, hopefully you guys can check out some more coming up in the near future. Oh, my pleasure. Hope to work with you again.